on a day like today, it's safe to say that no matter who you are, no matter where you are literally living on the planet, all of us in the next 48 hours, if we haven't already, we will begin to wonder this question, will 2019 be any different than 2018? All of us at some point are going to have to think through, will 2019 be any different than 2018 was? I think many of us are just wondering uh, the things that were besetting to us in 2018, maybe things like anxiety or worry or stress or fear or addictions or maybe anger or bitterness, the things that held us back, will that be different in 2019? I think many of us are wondering the things that maybe frustrated us in 2018, maybe things in our marriage or family dynamics or maybe something in our career uh, or our finances or relationships that we uh, have, I think some of us are wondering, well, the things that frustrated me there, will they be different in 2019? And I'm going to guess and think that some of us are also wondering, will life with God look any different in 2019 than it did in 2018? Like this, will this be the year where I actually grow? And I don't feel like I'm just spinning my wheels, but will this be the year that I actually begin to grow and to connect and move forward in the life that God has invited me to live? Now, I think there is a lot of wisdom in taking time to reflect, meaning it's wise to reflect on what was in 2018. And I think there is just as much wisdom to spend some time reflecting on what could be, what might be, what should be in 2019. Now, what normally follows a time of reflection, of looking back and looking forward, is this is when we begin to start making resolutions of, hey, I've reflected on 2018, and I don't want 2019 to be like this. So we make a resolution of, because of 2018, and I want things to be different, I'm going to do these various things. Now, according to the people who study these things, I don't know who they are, but the people who study resolutions, the top five resolutions as we are headed into 2019 are this. The first resolution that most people make in 2019 will be the resolution to exercise and to lose weight. The second one is to save money. Uh, the third resolution that people make is to make new friends. I don't know what that says about their old friends, but the resolution is to start with a new batch of people. Uh, the fourth one is to get a new job, and the fifth one, uh, the resolution, is to find a new hobby. Now, there is nothing wrong uh, with wanting to get healthy and to exercise and maybe to find some new friends or a new job or new hobby. But I wonder if why we don't see much difference in our life year after year after year is because of this one simple reality. Much of our life is still about our life. I wonder if we just don't see any difference year after year is because our life is still ultimately about our life. In all of the resolutions that I looked up and tried to find online, I didn't find one resolution that simply stated, hey, my resolution is to get over myself. <laughs> like, I resolve in 2019 just to get over myself. 
and be thinking about myself and what I look like, what I sound like, what I wear, what I drive, what I live in, what I do. There wasn't one resolution that said that. Now, as I look back into 2018, I'm really thankful uh, for all that God did uh, in my life and with my family. I'm really thankful for all the things that God did uh, in our community in 2018. But what I want more than anything as I head into 2019 is I just want to see God. I want to see God in new ways. I want all of us to have fresh stories of how we got to see and interact and be with God and be part of the work of God. If I got in better shape, if I lost a bunch of weight, if my marriage somehow became better and I began a new hobby and picked up some new friends, but I didn't actually see God at work, not just in my life, but around my life, then 2019 to me would just go down as another year that was ultimately all about me. So if we, and I'm not just saying a few of us, but if we as a people, we as a church, we as a community, if we want to see God in our lives in new ways, encounter God in new ways, walk with God in new ways, actually have fresh stories of God at work in our life, I believe that will happen in the circles that we pray. I believe that will largely happen in the circles that we pray. Now, if you lived in New England for any length of time, really, we're pretty famous for our rotaries or roundabouts, whatever you want to call them. Imagine if you were stuck in a rotary. You're just going round and round and round. How many times would you have to go round and round and round before you're like, this is driving me nuts. I need to exit off out of this rotary. I think we would do that pretty quick. Maybe after the second or third time, we would get out of that rotary. For much of my life, I treated prayer much like we treat a rotary. I could only handle a few circles, and then I just needed to get out because I just felt like I wasn't really going anywhere in prayer. I felt like not much was actually happening, and I just ultimately felt like I could be doing other or potentially better things. And consequently, prayerlessness was the thing that followed then in my life. I would pray, but my prayers were largely what I would just call 911 prayers. Now, if some of us, if we ever got an emergency or if something terrible happened or we were just in hurting or in pain, all of us would naturally instinctively think to call 911. But the problem with 911 prayers is that it leads us to believe we can do much apart from God. If our only prayers look like 911 type prayers, really it's leading us to believe we can do a lot in our lives apart from God. It reinforces this idea that we can do a lot of things in our life without seeking God's wisdom, without seeking God's direction, without seeking His guidance, that we really only need Him when we're really way in over our heads. Now, to be clear, I'm not suggesting that a 911-esque prayer is wrong or that it's sinful because the Bible makes clear that when we're in trouble, we should call on God. This is what the psalmist says in uh, chapter 50, verse 15. Call on me when you are in trouble, and I will rescue you. 
When you are in trouble, call on me, I will rescue you, and then you will give me glory. Now, there's a time and there's certainly a place to call on God in times of trouble, but if that is the only time that we're going to God in prayer, then I would just simply say we're really missing something, thinking that we can do a lot of our living lives apart from God. Now, as I've spent a lot of time over the years in both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, the people, the thing that I've noticed is the people who ultimately did not make their life about their life, but made their life about seeing God, seeing the work of God in their lifetime, they all had one thing in common. And the one thing that they all had in common is they prayed in circles. They prayed in circles. Now, to be really clear, you're not going to find in the Bible anywhere that says, and they prayed in circles. But the people who saw God move in mighty and also mysterious ways were those men and women who were non-ceasing, consistent in how they prayed. Now, when I see a circle, the shape of a circle, it just reminds me of something that is an ongoing movement. And whatever happens to be on the inside of that circle, when I see that, I see something that is protected, something that is covered on every which side. Now, I want to be very clear. Uh, the circle is not somehow more spiritual than a square. Uh, the circle is not somehow more spiritual than a rectangle. But when I consider the lives of those in Scripture who got to see with their eyes the work of God, the heart of God, His mission, His work, well, their prayers reflected God's work, reflected God's heart. Their prayers were all about covering people. They excelled in praying circles. Now, consider the one in the Scriptures, in the New Testament specifically, who his one heart and aim was to destroy the church. His name was Saul. His heart was anyone who wanted to follow Christ, he wanted to kill them or imprison them. But when this one individual had an encounter and interaction with Jesus, the resurrected Christ, his life was forever changed. And his mission did not become trying to destroy the church, but trying to build up the church to be part of God's work. And the message that Paul gave over and over and over again was for you and I, men and women who are Christians, followers of Christ, to excel in praying circles. Listen to how Paul says in Romans 12, keep on praying. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, be persistent in your prayers. Or in Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer. Or a verse that we know very well, it's been on our wall for five years, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, never stop praying. Now, if I'm being honest with myself and all of you, there is often a gap in my life between what I know God has for me, what God is inviting me to be part of, to do, and actually how I'm living. Now, I don't know if you could say the same thing of you, but far too often there's a gap between what I know God wants and actually how I live. But when I look at this man, his name Paul, he later changed his name from Saul to Paul, 
He did exactly what he told everyone else to do. He wasn't the guy that just said, hey, you should all be praying all the time, never stop covering people in prayer. The one who actually wrote these words modeled it in how he lived. In Romans chapter 1, verse 9, this is what Paul says to the church in Rome. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God. Or when he says to the church in Corinth, I always thank my God for you. Or in Ephesians, I have not stopped thanking God for you. And then listen to this, I pray for you constantly. Or in 1 Thessalonians, we always, we always thank God for all of you and pray constantly as we pray to our God and Father about you. In a different letter that Paul wrote to a young man named Timothy, this is how he encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. Timothy, I want you to know, I thank God for you. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. So for Paul, he told people to pray circles, cover people consistently, constantly in prayer, and that's exactly how he lived. And because Paul excelled in praying consistently, constantly, praying circles around people, he saw God move in really mighty ways. Now, I'm not trying to be dramatic in this next statement, but if you're going to see God move in your life in 2019 in ways you haven't seen before, if we as a church are going to see God move, and the stories that we tell reflecting on 2019, if they're going to be fresh stories of how we got to be part of the work of God in, with, and through around our lives, it will not happen apart from prayer. It just won't. Tim Keller wrote a really helpful book uh, a few years back, uh, just simply entitled Prayer. And in it, he says, "When when your prayer life finally begins to flourish, the effects of that can be remarkable. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. Now, I don't know if you would agree with that, but I invite you to at least wrestle with that. Is there any wisdom, is there any truth into what Mr. Keller has to say about prayer, that it is the key to everything that we would be and do in life will be discovered in prayer. When it comes to prayer, the conversations that I often have with people when I just ask, hey, how is your life of prayer going? Rarely, if ever, do I hear someone say, I'm flourishing. I'm killing it. I am absolutely flourishing in prayer. Most of the responses that I get from people are, you know, I'm struggling. It's not really going that well. I'm really not that good at it. Doesn't seem to be helping. I've tried. I'm not sure it's really working. Those are responses that I've certainly said myself and so many more on top of that. But what really encourages me when it comes to prayer is this simple but powerful truth. Prayer can be learned. Prayer can be learned. And I'm not just speaking about intellectually learning something about prayer, but prayer is something that we can learn. Now, if you had the opportunity uh, to ask Jesus, Jesus, I want you to teach me 
this one thing, what would be the one thing that you would want Jesus to teach you? You could ask him anything. Jesus, would you teach me how to do this? Keep in mind, Jesus walked on water. How many of us would say, Jesus, that would be a pretty amazing thing. Could you teach me how to walk on water? Jesus, you fed 5,000 people. Could you teach me how to take a few things and turn it into multiple that 5,000 people would be fed? Jesus, you healed so many different people, blindness, people who were paralyzed, people who were deaf. Jesus, could you teach me how to heal? Or better yet, Jesus, you raised people from death to life. Could you teach me how to do that? Jesus, you were the best communicator, the best teacher, the best leader. I want to grow in being a really great communicator, teacher, leader. Could you teach me how to do that? What's interesting to me is the disciples saw Jesus do all of these things and so much more, but there's only one recorded instance in all of the New Testament where the disciples specifically said, Jesus, will you please teach us how to do this? And it wasn't about healing. It wasn't about leadership. It wasn't about communication. It wasn't about raising someone from death to life. The one thing that they asked Jesus to teach them, it was prayer. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. The only recorded instance that we have of them asking is this time where they said, Jesus, could you teach us how to pray? And the question that I was wrestling with is, why prayer? Out of so many things that they could have asked Jesus to teach them, why did they pinpoint prayer? I think they had spent so much time with Jesus, and one of the things that Jesus spent a lot of time doing was not just teaching, talking, instructing others about prayer. He was a man who spent much of his time in prayer. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. And I think for these disciples that were following Jesus, I think they finally connected the dots and realized that everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, it flowed from a life of prayer. I think they began to take note that when Jesus prayed, things actually began to happen. So my big question is, they asked, will you teach us how to do this? My big question is, well, did they learn? Did they actually ever get it? Because the night before Jesus went to the cross, he asked a few of his disciples, I want you to stay with me, but I want you to pray. And three separate occasions they came back, or Jesus came back to find them fast asleep. So we see that they were certainly slow to learn prayer, but the very final thing that Jesus shared with about a group of about 120 people before he ascended to go back to heaven, this is what he challenged this group of people with uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people all about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you heard Jesus tell you that, that this is your mission to go change the world, that you are going to tell anyone and everyone all about me all over the world, 
I'm pretty sure just knowing my personality type, I would begin to strategize and set some goals. All right, people, how are we going to do this? There's only 120 of us. What's our plan? What's our action steps? What are some goals that we can mark some progress that we're actually getting closer to changing the whole world? I'm really thankful that the response was not to set some strategies in place and set some goals. I'm thankful that they began to learn what Jesus not only instructed them to do, but modeled for them. Because it says in Acts 1, verse 14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. I just wanted to emphasize the word constantly. Because they were entrusted with a mission to change the world. And they knew that if that was actually going to happen, if they were going to see a work of God in their lifetime... It was not going to happen apart from a life that was flourishing in prayer. And so they said, together, we need to be constant. We need to be consistent in the circles that we are going to pray together. And what's amazing to me is that God moves in response to the prayers of his people. So much so that 2,000 years later, all of us are here today still being impacted by their witness. It still is speaking volumes. One of my uh, spiritual mentors, uh, he's died hundreds of years ago, but a spiritual hero of mine is D.L. Moody. And he was a, a pastor evangelist, largely did much of his ministry in Chicago. And as he looked back on human history, one of the things that he took note of was this, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Every movement of God. When you do just a cursory study of the Old Testament, a cursory study of the New Testament, God moves when people bend their knee in prayer and say, God, we're not coming to you in 911 fashion, but we want our lives to be lived as a reaction to the prayers that we have been praying. God moves in response to the prayers of his people. In two days, will be January 1st. And in two days, we are starting our 21 days of prayer. And we're setting aside, setting apart the very first 21 days in 2019 to just pray some circles together. We had set a goal uh, in the month of December that we wanted to cover every single second every minute of every hour of every day for 21 days in prayer. And we thought the best way that we could do that is break up the day in 20-minute sections and invite people to sign up for a 20-minute section of prayer. Now, if you do the math, that's 72 20-minute sections of prayer that would cover an entire day. Parse that out over 21 days, that's 1,512 spots that needed to be signed up. As of Friday at 1 o'clock, 1,512 spots have been covered in prayer. So starting January 1st, I have no idea what God's going to do, but I'm so thankful that beginning at 12 a.m. on January 1st, we are going to cover every moment of every day for 21 days in prayer. Over the next 21 days, we are going to learn prayer together. Not because we're going to talk about it and think about it and sermonize about it. We are going to learn prayer by actually praying 
and praying together. And so what I'm inviting all of us to do, whether you're signed up to be one of those 1,512 or not, is I'm inviting all of us to take 21 minutes starting January 1st for the next 21 days to pray some circles together. Now, when you came in this morning on your chair is a card that looks like this. If you take that out now, the front of it just asks the question, what will you circle in prayer? And on the back of the circle card, it asks, gives you an opportunity for really two things. As a church, we have committed that for 21 days, starting January 1st, the circle that we are going to pray together for 21 days consistently and constantly cover in prayer uh, is the two words, new life. Is what we want to go to God with is, God, your heart is for people. You want all people to walk with God. One of the most profound, powerful things that Jesus said is in Luke 19, verse 10, when he said, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. This is why Jesus came. He came to make a way for all people to walk with God both now and throughout eternity. And so we wanted the, the prayer that we would be circling as a church, all of us, is God, we want to see new life. We want to see men and women who are far from you, indifferent towards you, don't care about you. We want to see those men and women experience new life and new life comes through Christ. And so that's the circle that we are going to be praying. That one has already been written in your circle for you. But we've also left a space for you to write in, what is one thing for 21 days that you would want to cover in 21 minutes of prayer for the next 21 days? What is one thing that you would want to circle in prayer, cover in prayer for 21 days? We're going to spend a moment praying as our worship team is going to come and lead us and as we prepare to celebrate communion one last time in 2018. But I want to give you a moment just to ask God, God, what is one person, one thing, one circumstance, one situation that you would want me to circle in prayer to begin 2019? And our heart in doing this is I don't want 2019 to be about us. I don't want 2019 to be about our better financial picture and better looking bodies and better looking friends and a better situation in work. I just don't want 2019 to be another year that's ultimately all about us. I just want our church to have story after story of how we got to be part of a move of God. And I know that that's not going to happen apart from the prayers that we are, would commit to circle. So take a moment and you ask God, what is it he would want you to begin circling in prayer? We will cover new life as a church, all of us, but what's one thing he would want you to circle in prayer?